welcome to Word on the Block, the series that takes a deeper dive into the topics we cover right here on Forecast News. I'm Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. On this episode, we're going to ask the question that our next guest asked in his forecast opinion piece. How if humanity has put man on the moon, that we can stream video from space, stop the spread of plague, why haven't we yet figured out how to send money across borders or even, dare say, wire money or transfer money from a bank on a Sunday? Well, it's actually all changing and at rapid pace, and much of it is happening in Southeast Asia. Let's welcome right now Naveen Gupta from Ripple. He's managing director, South Asia and EMEA, and actually leading a lot of these initiatives that could potentially really change and transform and maybe even allow us to wire money one day on a Sunday. Naveen, welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much for Angie. Thank you very much for that, Angie. And you must add, wire money even from moon. While you would be traveling in space in a few years' time, you could do so from your app from the moon itself. <laughs> well, you know, all is possible. But even the simplest thing as uh, wiring money or transferring money across borders, this seems to be part of you know, a legacy system, a traditional system that we all very much still exist in. Why hasn't this evolved uh, to date? And what are the initiatives that is trying to answer this problem? Uh, so what happens is with every, you can call it a monopoly or a system that has been uh, there for tens of years, there is always huge amount of resistance to change. And the easiest parallel to this would be uh, post offices. So as you know, Post offices were there pre-internet, who were uh, which used to essentially take information. If Angie wanted to send a letter to Naveen internationally, she would send a letter at a huge amount of cost, and a lot of times she wouldn't know whether the letter has reached me or not. And then came the internet, and the internet totally bypassed everything that the post offices have built. And the same thing is happening in the cross-border transfer world. Because for the last 50 years, there has been a technology out there which is not suitable for the internet world. And what we now at Ripple and many other institutions are doing, we are leapfrogging what used to be there earlier and changing and bringing the whole humanity in this brave new world, which you likely said, where payments can be sent cross-border 24-7, 365 days a year at a cost which is transparent to everybody before the money leaves your account. And then you're 100% certain that money has indeed reached the intended beneficiary as it was supposed to. So what it is taking is a leapfrog from the existing network that exists because there is a huge amount of, um, you can call it resistance to change, monopolization, uh, vested interest. And after that, we are taking a leapfrog from there to bring people into this new world, which is more suitable for the internet era that you and me will live in. Well, and it really reinforces um, what we're observing uh, from our perch here at Forecast News is this divergent of uh, customer experience and even the willingness um, to leapfrog into new technologies. Much of this is happening here in Asia and being led in Asia, implemented in Asia as well. Tell us what's happening on the ground What's happening particularly uh, in economies here in Asia, and particularly Southeast Asia, that make it such a hotbed for adoption of this technology? Absolutely, Angie. So let me actually take an example, right? So Siam Commercial Bank, uh, it's the oldest bank in Thailand. 
Uh, it's not a neo bank. It's not a digital bank. Uh, it's the oldest bank in Thailand. Uh, they have a very simple app called as EasyPay. So if you're a Thai customer and there are 16 million Thai customers, retail customers of Siam Commercial Bank in Thailand, you could just using your app send a cross-border transfer instantly into euros, US dollars, Singapore dollars, or a GBP. What you would do is on your app, you would enter the instructions. Say, for example, you were sending money to somebody in UK. Uh, within few seconds, the money would move from your account here in Thailand, and this is 24-7, 365 days a year, to the beneficiary account in GBP in the UK. And as you know, uh, Thailand is not... Um, uh, uh, a Western economy, but at the same time, it has been able to leapfrog a very traditional system that used to exist for the last 50 years and move into an area where it is serving its customers in a very different way versus the way they have been served uh, for 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 longest amount of time. So, to me, uh, what we are seeing in countries like Asia Pacific, and this you would see uh, in terms of e-commerce play that has happened in Asia Pacific, may it be Alipay, may it be uh, grab made be a number of other uh, institutions which are making it happen is that they are changing the customer experience on its head. They're going to a customer in Thailand and essentially saying, hey, you don't have to go from no phones to landline to 2G to 3G. What we will do is we will skip the landline experience and we'll straight go to 4G. And that's what mm -hmm. Siam Commercial Bank has made it happen for their customers in Thailand. So they don't have to go um, to, to uh, uh, from a from a post office to a FedEx and then then to internet, but they're straight taken to internet of money, which is powered by Ripple. And 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 that's the thing: the user experience is is very seamless. But what is the engine? What what is Ripple trying to achieve in terms of payment systems? Explain the technology behind the ease in which these transfers can happen. Absolutely. So I'll make it very, very easy because a lot of our users may not be technically savvy. So I'll just make it very easy. So let's assume Angie has a WhatsApp and Naveen has a WhatsApp. Once we download WhatsApp on our phone, the first thing that happens is um, let's assume Angie wants to speak to me on WhatsApp. She would add my phone number. You can think of phone number as a validation. Exactly the same thing happens in Ripple technology. And in this case, it is two institutions. Say, for example, Siam Commercial Bank and the bank in UK download the Ripple software. Once they are connected, then they, are, they can speak to each other through the same technical standards. Now, let's assume they want to connect with each other like we would do in WhatsApp. Angie would add in the phone number. In case of the two banks, they would add in the IP addresses. Once they're able to add in the IP addresses, they're able to do some testing to say, hey, yeah, we are able to speak to each other. Now, when an actual transaction needs to travel from Siam Commercial Bank to a customer of uh, the bank in the UK, or for that matter, any bank account in the UK, all they would do is they would be able to speak through the same network, like what we do in WhatsApp. So for example, when you send me a, a WhatsApp message, what I would see is the moment the message is gone, you would see a single tick. Once I've received the message, you will see double ticks. Uh, when I've read it, it'll turn blue. And if we are typing, then we'll be, you'll be able to see that I'm, uh, I'm typing it back. And, and, and you can send messages, you can send photos, you can send a number of things, and we are able to communicate in real time. The same thing happens among the two institutions as well, in this case with Siam Commercial Bank and the bank in the UK, where they're able to send uh, transactions to each other in real time, and they're able to debit and credit accounts 24-7, 365 days a year. 
Now, the last thing that happens is like it happens in our WhatsApp message. So let's assume somebody was to look at my WhatsApp screen and then see all the messages that Angie has sent to me and look at Angie's screen to see all the messages that she has sent to me, they will exactly be the same. That means the ledgers or our WhatsApp screens are the same. In the banking parlance, it's nothing but ledgers. In the old world, what the, what the banks would need to do is they would need to do reconciliation to say, hey, I sent you 100 messages. Did you receive 100 messages? Let's reconcile at every evening. And this is a huge industry with, with, with a huge amount of cost and inefficiency building. But in case of WhatsApp, for example, there is no need to reconcile because your screen is absolutely same as me. And that's what uh, Ripple has done. The underlying technology removes any needs for reconciliation because we, what we have is a Google Doc kind of ledger, which essentially means we have a single shared ledger between these two banks. So there is never a transaction in which there is a debit that has happened to a customer's account in uh, Siam Commercial Bank and a corresponding credit has not happened. And hence it removes error, it removes the need of reconciliation and the transactions can flow freely 24 seven, 365 days a year. So the simplest way to understand our technology is like we are WhatsApp for banks where they're able to communicate and, and like WhatsApp transfers information, but we are able to transfer value cross-border. So Ripple obviously is one of many um, enterprise solutions that are using blockchain and ledger technology uh, to really try to resolve this fragmented global payment system uh, that prevents a lot of um, uh, the seamlessness that we come to expect with technology. The fact that there are others out there, how does that... Um, does that create uh, inefficiencies in and of itself? For example, if not every bank is on the Ripple system and other banks choose to create potentially their own systems or live on other platforms, how, how, how is the, the, the noise of competition in, in technology solution potentially uh, creating its own quagmire? The concern would be that. 100%. And Angie, that's the right question to ask, right? Um, so let me let me explain to you. So firstly, Ripple at Ripple, we are not a science experiment. We are not doing this to win some kind of award in an academic institution, right? We are solving a real world problem and building scale with institutions to make sure that people around the world are able to use our solution and institutions are able to provide this service to their customers. So though we are a technology platform at the core, but what we are is we are building a RippleNet, which is an ecosystem of banks uh, and, and who essentially are able to move money around the world. And we have thought of it in three parts. So the first part is clearly the technology which needs to be scalable, which needs to be robust, which needs to deliver on the promise uh, of blockchain, uh, what, what, what we have told our customers that it would. The second thing that we are doing currently, and that's the reason we announced that we have 300 customers around the world, is to make sure that at least there is one or multiple nodes in every single country and every, every single currency that we serve. Because as you know, generally around the world, the domestic payment systems are, are quite good. So for example, there is FAST in Singapore, there is IMPS in India, and similarly, there are instant real-time payment systems that are put in place by the government, which essentially are the, the carriers of value domestically. Now, what we do is we hook in these systems to international systems. So for example, we have a number of institutions which are sending money into India. So once the money lands into India on even one single Ripple node, 
that in turn connects to the domestic rails and then is able to deliver money uh, to any citizen in that or any, any bank account in that country. So even with X hundred institutions, we will be able to serve every single nook and corner of the world because we will then ride on the local uh, domestic payment systems that are already in place, which are uh, for about 52 countries already real time, and then be able to deliver the money. So that's the second part. The third part that the, the question that you asked to say, hey, you know what? There are multiple people who will be building their own blockchains. Maybe there'll be a blockchain in shipping. There'll be a blockchain in the security settlement. There'll be blockchains in a number of other uh, areas around the world. So we are very clear that the world will not be on one single blockchain. And hence, we, from, this, from Getco itself, pioneered something called as interledger protocol, uh, which is called ILP. And you can think of it as a HTTPS or the TCP IP of the world, right? And what it does is what it creates is an open standard. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's open. It's not proprietary. It's not owned by Ripple. It's essentially uh, open source. So everybody can use it. Till anybody who's building a payment system today or a blockchain system today can comply with the ILP requirements or can incorporate the ILP protocol while they are building their technology, that would mean tomorrow their blockchain will be interoperable with anything that Ripple is building. Right. So in that case, so let's assume Angie was to decide to build her own blockchain ecosystem, she would be able to speak and transfer value to Ripple's blockchain ecosystem because it's ILP compliant. And this is something that we have been working on for past many, many years. We have done quite a bit of work with Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where we looked at countries which have no payment system today. And as you know, in most countries, payment systems are built in, um, in, in, in different decades. So there would be an RTGS, there would be an ACH, then there will be a real-time um, low-value clearing system, which will be 24-7. And because these things are built in different times, today a check cannot be converted to a card payment, a card payment cannot be converted to an ACH. But if these systems, when they're being built, they are ILP compliant, then you would have interoperability between the systems and you are able to move value from one system to another without the need of these being systems being owned by one company or they being owned of being part of one network. Hence, one network is able to speak to another network exactly the way it happens in the internet world today, where you could have your own database, uh, Naveen has its own database, and the reason we are able to speak to each other and share the information that we want to, because we have the internet protocols, uh, which are common, and when we build our own systems, we make sure that we are compliant with those internet database. So exactly the same way we had thought about it for money. I mean, one of the most um, really powerful things of a system that that you're creating um, in conjunction with uh, the interoperability aspect of it allows people who have uh, traditionally been um, the unbanked, uh, the, the inaccessible, um, to something as powerful as as money or value or cash that allows them to invest in in their own homes or their own businesses in their own villages. Um, that has been one of the key problems is to the legacy system that has been un unable um, to to really address. So that's the one really powerful aspect to what you're talking about here. Can you tell me about some of the economies that have had and experienced this leapfrog effect which nations are we talking about, and what what real change have you 
created on the ground because people have now access to money? So absolutely, right? Um, so we did quite a bit of consumer research. Uh, we are an enterprise company, but we do do some consumer research along with our customers. So the first corridor in the world that we opened was between Japan and Thailand. Right? So mm -hmm. this was, as you know, there are a lot of Thai workers who work in Japan as nurses, as maids. And most of the time, they are not at the top end of the pyramid. They are at the bottom of the end of the pyramid. And they depend, their families back home depend on money being sent by the, by the workers in the family back home. Earlier, something that would take three days, two days for the money to reach, a lot of time money would get lost, and hence the tuition fee of the children will not get paid, or a lot of time mothers would need to walk many kilometers to get access to the cash uh, so that they're able to go, uh, go and withdraw that particular money. A lot of these problems got sorted out when we put it on Ripple. So now, when a Thai worker uh, in Japan is able to instantly transfer that money into a bank account or into a wallet back home belonging to the family, and the family is able to use that money instantly, there is a huge relief. There is a 100% certainty that money is not lost. There is a lot of pre-validation. And when we surveyed these people, and some of that, um, some of those videos are, and, and real customers speaking who have experienced our solution, when they talk about their experiences, one feels like crying because in, in sometimes, and I'm in a, I would say, I w I'm in a privileged position where sometimes these things are not, uh, what do you call it, don't hurt me personally. But at the same time, when you look at the lives of those people, three-day delay in their receiving of money makes a huge difference uh, mm -hmm. for them versus lots of other people around the world. So when we, when we spoke to them, it has made a dramatic difference from the, from the experience what they used to have earlier versus what they have now. So then how do you view competitors such as TransferWise, which is essentially doing the same thing, disrupting the conventional high-priced remittances system? I mean, how does Ripple differentiate itself from a TransferWise? Um, so the easiest way to think about it would be that we are a neutral network. So for example, tomorrow, if TransferWise wanted to join Ripple Network, they're more than welcome, right? And at the same time, TransferWise can build its own network too, if they wanted to, right? So in our mind, the way we think about it would be, our customer will always be an enterprise, um, a Santander, a Siam Commercial Bank, uh, SBI Remit, and these will leverage Ripple technology or Ripple's platform or Ripple's ODL proposition, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, uh, to essentially make their own customers uh, happier and they're able to deliver a much better customer experience and lower their costs, right? So in some way, we don't compete with TransferWise because what we are not doing is we are not bringing the proposition to the end customer. So the customer will always be a TransferWise customer or a Santander customer or a MoneyGram customer. What we do is we sit behind these institutions to make it faster, better, cheaper, and are able to use their distribution effects to then deliver their deliver our Ripple's promise to these institutions. So I think oh, that's yeah, the big right. difference. And, and hence, actually, no institution around the world need to feel threatened by Ripple because we are not looking at a B2C model, we are only looking at a B2B model, and we work with these institutions to, and then to deliver the promise. And that's the well, that's way we the think about ourselves. That's right. That's the enterprise side. Let's talk about the sovereign side here, because we've got China, we've got Indonesia, various other countries uh, here in Asia starting to develop digital currencies, which could circumvent the remittances problem entirely. What, what impact do you see 
of digital currencies uh, that are in the works, for example, China's PBOC uh, uh, digital currency, what impact would it have on Ripple and, and, and also this, this new technology network? So the way I think about digital currencies, still the use case is in a very early stage, right? So I think mm. there is no central bank that has really put the stall out there and essentially said, hey, you know what, one, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how our citizens are going to benefit by the use of digital currency. And because digital currency will be sovereign in nature, its primary use case should, could be, I speculate, would be domestic. So if it is domestic, it will still need a bridge when it, for example, goes to Thailand, when it goes to Laos, when it goes to Cambodia. So in our mind, and we are advocates of XRP because it's particularly suitable for cross-border payments, but primarily as a bridge. So we are not saying at, at a domestic level, uh, XRP needs to be used, but one, when that digital currency from country X needs to get converted to either a digital or a fiat currency of country Y, then XRP would be the most efficient bridge to be able to do it because we'll be able to do it real time. Uh, the, the processing speed is very, very high. The costs are almost minimal. And in that bridge, there will be huge amount of efficiencies versus the inefficiencies that exist in the current system. So even in the case of like in the case of two fiats today, for example, if um, you were to send money from Hong Kong dollars to Indian rupees, the Hong Kong dollars first gets converted to U.S. dollars and U.S. dollars goes into Indian rupees. In the case of using ODL as a proposition, the Hong Kong dollars will get converted to XRP and XRP would get converted into Philippines peso is a better example of Philippines peso and the payout would happen. And all this will happen in a few seconds and removing the need of something called as a pre-funding or Nostra accounts that today institutions have to hold around the world. So our, our sense is there is about five to $10 trillion of money that is stuck um, in pre-funded Nostra accounts all around the world, cost of which gets passed primarily to retail customers. And by using XRP as the bridge, there is no need to have pre-funded accounts because now the settlement happens in real time mm -hmm. and XRP acts as the bridge and it's not being used or stored in the, in the country or in, in the country of origin and it is not being used or stored in the country of destination. It's only being used as a bridge from Hong Kong dollars into XRP into Philippines peso and the payout essentially happens. So we are not looking here to either um, uh, either replace domestic currencies, either fiat or digital, but what we are looking at making the current system far more efficient uh, versus uh, the way it is today. So we, we uh, in our research uh, ahead of this conversation, we noted a, a tweet from uh, Thailand's oldest bank, SCB Thailand, um, saying that the information about the Ripple transfer will be announced soon. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, so, uh, so I mean, there are, there are a number of things that we're working with uh, Siam Commercial Bank on, but this is, um, uh, this is already in the news, in fact, at Swell, um, the, the, the innovation head for Siam Commercial Bank actually gave a demo where in real time he was able to make a transfer uh, from account, uh, account at Siam Commercial Bank uh, into an account overseas, and the whole transaction took 40 seconds. So that's something um, uh, that is out there. It's available to 16 million customers. It's available on their app today for use for for customers um, at Sam Commercial Bank. And so what are your plans for expansion in 2020? What what can we expect to see as other banks in, in other geographic areas and, and 
potentially nations who are looking to leapfrog into um, this new this new age of cross-border transactions? Yeah. So I think the way I think about it would be if I look at 2020. So first, you will see some kind of early network effects started to happen, whereby um, you, you would find that it, at least in certain corridors, and that's the reason Ripple has a very strong corridor strategy, uh, they will take off because now uh, the new standard would be instant, the new standard would be transparent, a new standard would be this is the this is the way uh, money will get transferred between two corridors. So uh, we see early signs of network effect, but in 2020, that'll, I mean, we'll see more signs of that. The second thing that I would say is that as wallets are taking off in every single country around the world, what we would start seeing is uh, there would be a wallet holder in country X and a wallet holder in country Y, and they will be able to send money to each other. And a lot of them would be clearly bank wallets that would be wallets owned by e-commerce companies, or these could be wallets owned by telcos, uh, which are regulatory allowed to either send or receive cross-border transfers. And a lot of these cross-border transfers will be low value, right? So you would be able to see a wallet holder, which is generally um, a, a, a more um, used for financial inclusion or people who may not have access to financial services like, um, like higher income families do, will be able to send and receive transfers. The third thing that I would say in 2020, what you would start seeing is a big drive or a big uptick in micropayments. And let me explain it in a, in a, in a, few, in, in a couple of minutes so that everybody gets the, the meat of it. So today, let's assume Naveen wants to read FT. I only have a choice to uh, go to FT.com and become a subscriber. And, and I have to pay $60 a month to become a subscriber. But if I just wanted to read one article on FT and I say, hey, you know what, could I pay 10 cents for reading an article? I'm not allowed to do it. And in my mind, the reason FT doesn't allow that to happen, by the way, I'm just using FT as an example. Uh, this is not a real, uh, I mean, FT is not a real, uh, I've not spoken with them. Um, FT doesn't allow that to happen is because there is no payments in the system in the world today that can collect 10 cents from Naveen and deposit in their account. Because ideally, what they would want to do is there are hundreds, hundreds and millions of users. All they want to read is that one particular article because that is of interest to them. And if at almost negligible cost, FT could collect that 10 cents from these hundreds of millions of users, then this is a great revenue stream from them, which today they are not able to monetize. And also, readers are not able to get access to the great content that FT produces. So to my mind, a user is missing out and also FT is missing out in terms of monetization because there is no micropayment system in the world which can do it. But digital assets like XRP can bridge this gap, whereby they can collect this 10 cents very efficiently from Naveen and pay it into FT's account. And they can do it 24-7, 365 days a year across every single geography around the world at almost negligible cost. So you would start seeing um, scale examples or use cases of uh, things like those, things like these where either in media or in gaming, micropayments will start to take off. And you would see a lot of entrepreneurs and innovative companies building applications on the top of it using this underlying micropayment infrastructure. Because before this, uh, if a large corporation like FT can't do it, there are a lot of other entrepreneurs who would have great ideas, uh, which are everyday uh, monetizable because it's on the web or they're able to put an app on the Play Store. But because of uh, no... Uh, micropayment payment infrastructure existing, they were not able to get it done. But now they will be able to. And in 2020, 
you would start seeing some signs of that. I mean, there's no doubt it is changing the business logic of uh, across industries and, and the magnitude of how technology is changing. Not only the cross-border uh, payments market is huge, but you know the implications of even just um, transfer of, of value, period, is enormous. Naveen, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse uh, into the future that has already arrived. Thanks for your... Thanks for explaining it uh, to us. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this latest episode of Word on the Block. I'm Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau, Forecast News. Thanks so much for joining us. Until the next time. (laughs) 